A doctor hears it as she slowly closes the exam room door. Person behind that door, face buried in shaking hands, sobbing. A teenager can't escape its voice as it brings her to her knees in confusion and hurt. You and I have heard its verdict for our lives. It's not a road less traveled, but a road that seems to be impossible to be traveled. What is this it that has spoken to every single one of our hearts? Suffering. A word dense in emotion and history. I mean, how many people the world over, including you and I, have asked that question, why is there suffering in my life? Why is there suffering in the world? You and I know how often we felt shaken by the emptiness, the emptiness of answers to that question that we can't seem to find, feeling boxed in by life's difficulties and all the effects of that unwelcome word, suffering. Have you ever noticed how in conversation, how quick we are to sidestep saying that S word, as in thinking if we can just push it off to the side and not mention it, that maybe our pain will one day just vanish. Now, I think there's a deep reason why we as people are so drawn to things like TED Talks and motivational speakers who talk about overcoming and triumph over suffering. And yet here we are sitting there, their own personal thorns jabbing us and all the most tender parts of our being. And we wonder when our triumph day will come. When we'll experience that overcoming that someone else has, but we haven't. Now, the Christian life to so many, it seems like a curse. But what if Christianity sees reality the way it really is? What if your thorn and your cross and your trial, what if we saw them as blessings? In fact, what if those thorns are some of the greatest gifts that Jesus has ever given to us? See, when we first encounter our thorns, our disabilities, our weaknesses, our struggles with temptation, our pain. When we first encounter them, where do we turn to to start it off, to start this important conversation? Now, I don't know about you, but I look at my spiritual emergency contact list, and I hate to say it, but oftentimes Jesus is not number one on that list. So how do we cope? If Jesus isn't that number one, and so often he's not, where do we turn? Well, if our American so-called rugged individualism has taught us anything, first we look at ourselves and we need to pull up our bootstraps and by sheer willpower, we'll power through whatever disability and challenge and trauma we've had to go through. And if that doesn't work, well, then we might turn to an expert. And if still that doesn't work, well, then forget about it. Start Netflix binging because you've got to distract yourself from whatever pain you have with all the distractions of this world. Now, this is where our culture and first century Corinth are so similar. It's how we handle suffering. Now, for them, it was a stoic philosophy. If you have enough life discipline, you can get through anything. If that doesn't work, well, then go to these so-called super apostles, as Paul sarcastically called them. These guys would come in and say that the Christian life, you don't have to suffer. Are you kidding me? No, you'll have wealth, and you'll be powerful, and people will love you. Of course, who wouldn't want a life like that except the problem with it? is it's a total lie. And God has something much better, much grander in mind for his children than that. 
But you know as well as I do that there are those super apostle-like figures in our world today, right? Maybe we wouldn't say it out loud, but if you found yourself hitching your wagon to a different politician or a political movement thinking, you know, if that policy was put in place, my suffering and our country's suffering and maybe even the world's suffering would be minimized. Or do we rely on education, taking in self-help books and thinking if I get this degree and get this type of knowledge, then maybe I can figure out my life's issues. And maybe if the brain trust of the world came together, we could finally solve an impossible equation of suffering. Or maybe we rely on our wealth. We'd never say it, but if we had enough money for all the things we wanted, we could essentially pay suffering off. It wouldn't bother us again. Or do we rely on other people? It's not just in social media. It's always been around this idea that if somebody tells me that I'm good, if somebody admires me, if somebody sees admirable things in me, then maybe, just maybe, I can cope with all my deficiencies and weaknesses that I know all too well are real. But here's the problem with all those different super apostle things. The voice of suffering only grows louder and our thorns only get sharper. And that's where we have to enter into this conversation, a follower of Jesus named Paul. So Paul, he started this church in Corinth. He was their first pastor. And yet they belittled him and thought he was unimpressive, he was poor, he was abused, not a great public speaker. To them, they looked at Paul and they said, if that's the Christian life, forget about it. I don't want that. And even still, our sinful nature comes to the same conclusion today. See, Paul, he talks about this thing, this torment, and he qualifies it as a messenger of Satan himself, and that this thorn was given to him, and we're going to talk about who gave it to him in the first place. But this torment, it was a humiliating violence, being slapped around all the time as he told the true story of the cross. This can't be the Christian life. This can't be a gift. Or so the liar loves to say. You've heard his other questions, I'm sure. How could a loving God gift you with suffering? How could a loving God allow abuse and trauma? It's all part of his opening statement in the courtroom of your heart. Could you really trust a God who allows these evil things to happen? Why live cursed when you can be blessed? Follow me and trust me, I'll give you pain relief and pleasure and you will overcome this all on your own. Just let me show you how it's done. Father of lies with all of his deceit mixed together with this illusion of our own innate strength. And of course, you know as well as I do, we're drawn to these things. And in order for us to see the darkness of those lies, sometimes that means we have to relive them, to see that light of Jesus burst through like only he can do. I want you to think of a moment in your life that maybe was the deepest experience of pain you've ever felt. The trauma that you're still trying to process today that's still on your mind constantly. That daily struggle with that one temptation that you've prayed over and over, Lord, take it away from me, but there it is. Your disabilities, your insufficiencies, all those weaknesses. I can only imagine how many times you've cried out to Jesus, Lord, just take this away from me. Paul gets that. Three times he pleaded with Jesus with tears and sweat and sleepless nights Take this thorn away. And Jesus answered that prayer. And he's answered yours too. You, like Paul, have heard suffering's voice. And now, 
You need to hear your Savior's voice and the answer he has for that prayer. You see it there in chapter 12, verse 9. You can look it up in your worship folder if you want. Look at how it starts off there. But he said. Now right before we get to this incredible gospel passage that is 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, we have to start with the most important part of it. I know it doesn't seem like that at first, but he said, but those three words are the core that puts this whole thing together. Who has said this? Jesus has. And by faith, you know who he is. And said? In Greek, this is a perfect tense verb, which means this. This is why this grammar matters. Is because this answer that Jesus gave Paul wasn't just true for him. It's true for you too. And it always will be. And you know what that answer for you is? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now how can this be? You only find it at the foot of the cross. Despite all of our suffering, despite all of our sin, despite all the ways we fall short, all of our deficiencies, our God, our Savior's all-sufficient grace has wiped it all away. With each drop of blood that fell on the dusty ground of Golgotha, every one of your weaknesses and deficiencies and disabilities, its effects were taken away eternally. See, Jesus shows us something that is so different from how the world operates. It's through weakness that we see the strength of God. It's his weakness that has made you strong. It's his suffering that set you free. The most monumental moment in your life happened 2,000 years before you were born. When our God hung from a cross and was thinking of each and every one of you. And that's what held him there. He looks at all of our deficiencies and our thorns. And he tells you, these are gifts. And the reason your thorn is a gift is because it's a constant reminder that God's grace is real and Christ's power is true for you. When that thorn cuts through, and it does, and it will, it shows you how weak you are. Not to demean you, but to turn you away from yourself back to the God who has done it all for you. When your thorn cuts through, it pops that balloon of pride that's so easily puffed up, and it draws us back into our Savior's waiting arms. It's your thorn that brings you, transports you back again and again to the foot of the cross. Where our Savior looks at you and he says, don't hold their sins against them, Father. I paid for that sin. And it's your thorn that, yeah, will bring tears to your eyes a lot. You know that. But also bring you to the God who wipes every last one of those tears away. Your thorn is a gift. And when we understand that, by faith we understand what, what Martin Luther said once. That God can only be found in suffering and in the cross. See, this is what your God-given gift of a thorn does. This is the otherworldly, just incredible power of God's grace. That the devil has all these schemes to take you away from him, and yet, no matter how hard he tries, all those efforts end up bringing you closer to Jesus. I mean, think about how this happened in Paul's life, right? This thorn that he was given... Through that thorn, it brought him closer and closer to his God. It made him a greater instrument of God's power as he spread the good news to the world. 
What was meant by the devil to hurt Paul ended up being his undoing. See, this is this paradoxical twist of how God works. That he allows Satan to strike his people and yet he takes the thorn-stabbed Christian and brings him and her closer into his arms and turns them around and transforms them to be ambassadors for the only hope that this world has ever known. See, a proud, arrogant Paul without any thorns, he would have been like those super apostles. Talking about himself and his accomplishments and his achievements, but a humiliated, frail Paul, led as a captive in Christ's triumph. (laughs) Through him, the gospel went throughout the world. Its fragrance is what brought you and me here home to our Father's house this morning. When your disabilities and thorns and struggles with temptation and trauma and pain, all those weaknesses, when they're there, they become this incredible vehicle where you personally see God's grace and love for you uncovered in your own life. The fact that you have a thorn broadcasts how weak you are, and that's a good thing. Paul talks about boasting in his weaknesses. We can stand before the world and say, look how weak I am, Lord. Or excuse me, look how weak I am, world, because look what my Lord has done. He can take someone like me and bring me into his family. When we realize the depth of our weakness, we run away from self-reliance. You and I have been down that road so many times, and we know how sad it is. Instead, we turn to Redeemer Reliance, where we rely totally on God, no matter what it is. And we find peace, even if we can't explain our suffering. It's through that gift of a thorn that Jesus spreads his tent of grace over us and our Father's compassion, it overshadows us. See, those trials and those thorns, that trauma, that abuse and hurt you felt and still are dealing with, they're not there to bring you away from God, no. It's when you process those things that you see him with his arm around you with tears in his own eyes, with him looking at you and saying, no, this thorn is so you and I can be closer than ever. It's when we think of our thorns in this way that we can say along with Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. Even if we're systemically harmed, even if we feel boxed in with life's difficulties, we can say, I am strong. And we can delight, like Paul talks about, in the gift of the thorn. Delight not in an emotional high, but in an action of the will. Even with tears filling our eyes, we can have joy and sing for joy. Even as we bristle at our crosses and groan as the thorns stab through, it's then that we can remember our crucified Lord, who through his own crown of thorns and his own cross brought salvation for your soul and for everyone. And now it's our joy that the risen Jesus is using, quote-unquote, weak Christians like you and me through our own afflictions and humiliations to bring even one more person under the shadow of the cross. When we are weak, then we are strong. When we look at our thorns and we see how hard it is, all of a sudden by faith, Like this great gospel reversal, we see the blessings that come. In fact, it's through that thorn that we see how eternally blessed we are. This is the true nature of our blessedness. 
So what does being hashtag blessed look like? It looks like this. Whatever you are confronted with in life, you can handle it. Not because we have the ability to, because Jesus has handled it already. You heard in the gospel what he said. He said, blessed are you. This is the performative power of the word. If Jesus says you're blessed, right there, you are. There's no doubt about it. That is who you are. And it's not on you and me to work up this kind of faith. No. In fact, the greatest form of faith is the one that doesn't think about faith at all. The greatest form of faith is this. It's a heart that can't help but sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. It's that simple. That even in our times of cross and trial, we know what's waiting for us. And we know we have a God who understands every last bit of the pain that we are feeling, and he will bring us through it. Your thorn truly is a gift. And your cross is the greatest treasure. And your suffering is enwrapped by grace. When that sharpness of suffering sets in, and you know it will, look to the one who wore your thorns as his crown. Jesus, when he put on that crown of thorns and he was nailed to the cross, when you think of that, think of your own personal thorn right there on his head. They put it on his head to demean him and to mock him and abuse him, but he saw it as a source of pride because that was the day he took every single last bit of your suffering and nailed it to the cross, doing the impossible that we could never do. When you think of that crown of thorns, see your thorn as a jewel in that crown because that's how Jesus saw it. This was the greatest thing he would ever do. And it was all for you. Look ahead to that day when that thorn will be taken away from you and that cross lifted off your shoulders and you'll be given a real crown of life that will never, ever go away. See, when your God-given gift of a thorn cuts through, and it will, by faith, you'll see Jesus all the more clearly and transparently. And in fact, when you see him through that thorn, you see reality for what it really is the reality that's only found in the shadow of the cross. Amen. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.